working throughout this evening in each of the readings, what we've called the Passion Week of Jesus, the week in which He suffered and died. In preparing this sermon series that I've recently began on Lamentations for today, I've dug back into some of those psalms of lament. And one of the key psalms of lament that we see in the Old Testament that's in many ways a messianic psalm as well is Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is where those stirring words that we heard Danan read, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? David originally penned those words, giving true voice to where he felt, where he was lamenting the abandonment that he felt by God in looking at his circumstances. And there's a bit of hyperbole in David's speak. There's a complete abandonment that he feels, but in reality, God hadn't abandoned him. God was always there providing him, always there protecting him, always there rescuing him time and time again. Jesus uttered these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But it was true. It was real. There was no hyperbole in Jesus' recounting of those words. Just hear the many prophecies fulfilled. Psalm 22, written some 600 years before this week of sorrow and passion. My God, my God, why have you forsaken you, me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night I find no rest. In verse 6, it says, I am a worm and not a man. I'm scorned by mankind, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me and they wag their heads. The very description we have of those by the cross, wagging their heads. They say, he trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. The mocking of those who surrounded Jesus at the cross. Listen to the extreme thirst that, that David spoke about. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of the earth. And then speaking of those who encircled the cross, dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encompass me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and they gloat over me even to the detail of they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. If anyone could speak these words in their truest sense, Jesus is really the only one. Laments are often simply honest communication to our God about where we're at right now, what our conditions are, how we're feeling, what we're up against. And they should be real and genuine from our hearts, but how we should weigh what they truly mean needs to be seen and weighed in comparison to the cross, in light of the cross. We see that the laments that we give to our God and the answer to all those laments are found in these hours that Jesus bore the wrath and curse that we deserve. 
because of our sin, none of us are guiltless. All of us deserve the wrath and curse of God. So why, are, why should we complain when things go wrong, when things are poured out on us? We really deserve it, actually. But the answer to our laments are found in what Christ suffered and died for. We are blessed because He was cursed. We're set free because He was condemned. We're eternally secure because He was forsaken. I want to look at these themes that we saw, again, through the passages of this Passion Week, being cursed, being condemned, being forsaken, and how this answers our deepest complaints to our God, our deepest laments. Galatians 3, verse 13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. You remember the Garden of Eden. Those curses came as a result of man's fall into sin, man's disobedience to God. God's command was clear. Eve was cursed. Adam was cursed. The ground was cursed. The serpent was cursed. But there was a promise that was made that Jesus would reverse the curse and only the Messiah, only the man who was born without sin could undo the curse. The people of God knew what blessing should look like, but they never experienced it in its fullness. And throughout the Old Testament, we see even through the covenant with Abraham, this promise that I will curse those who curse you, but I will bless those who bless you. The blessing was going to be by grace. We knew it wouldn't be because of their own righteousness. God works even above and beyond our sin to give us His blessing and give us His grace. And one of the clearest examples of what that blessing looks like is in the blessing that Moses gave to the Levites in Numbers chapter 6. Kevin DeYoung describes what happens at the end of our services as well in giving the benediction. That is just a combination of two words, bene and diction, good word, a blessing. And he says, in the, it's a blessing to the people. The most common one is the priestly blessing from number six, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. That's the best description of blessing in the Old Testament. To be cursed would be to have just the opposite. And that's what Jesus suffered. That's the way that Jesus was treated. The Lord curse you and forsake you. The Lord make His face frown upon you and be angry with you. The Lord turn His back on you and give you wrath. That's exactly what Jesus received. Not because of some sadistic father who wanted to punish, 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 but a holy and righteous God who could stand no sin. Sin had to be paid for. It had to be punished. And Jesus bore the curse so we could receive the blessing. He was also condemned so we could be set free. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For He made Him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus knew no sin, not one sin. Every false accusation, lies upon lies, were brought in order to get Jesus condemned, in order for Him 
to be found guilty, but there was no guilt in him. There was zero guilt in this one innocent man who ever walked the earth, and the greatest travesty of justice, he was condemned. But this wasn't outside of God's plan. This was according to His eternal purpose, His divine plan and foreknowledge. And Jesus willingly said, not my will, but your will be done. This is in His human nature, Jesus being fully human and fully divine, crying out to His Father, let this cup pass. The suffering that I will face, if there's any way possible, Father, let it pass. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And that's exactly what Jesus underwent. One author said, because of Christ's condemnation for us, you are immune to condemnation and immune to God's curse. Because Christ bore it for you in that outer darkness, Golgotha secured your immunity, not mere sympathy. Jesus had it bad, but He didn't suffer in that way so He could know what it's like for us. He did it so He could set us free from the suffering and condemnation we deserve. John Calvin said, in order that Christ may satisfy for us, it was necessary that He should be placed as a guilty person at the judgment seat of God. And that's the irony. The only righteous person was put before God and was found guilty. But he was found guilty and condemned so that we could be set free. So we won't have to face that punishment. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Do you see the sorrow in this week? Do you see the sorrow in his crucifixion? But can you see the goodness of Good Friday? When you are set free, there's no condemnation for you. You know, when you try and hold on to that guilt, when you try and hold on to shame, when you try and wallow in self-pity, what you're doing is saying that cross wasn't enough. Your condemnation didn't set me free. And that's simply not true. According to God's ledger, according to God's verdict, you are no longer condemned. And finally, these words... Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken so we could be eternally secure. R.C. Sproul writes in his commentary on Mark, at the, at the climax of the period of darkness, Jesus cried in agony, not the agony of the scourging or the agony of the thorns and the nails, but the agony of forsakenness. The bond that he had shared with his father. In his humanity now, he suffered that rejection. He suffered being forsaken by a holy and righteous God. And that's where the sorrow and the grief reached its pinnacle. That's where his grief was the loudest. But it was for a purpose. He was forsaken so that we can be never forsaken, eternally secure. In Hebrews 13, he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. 
So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? This is God's promise, not how you may feel when things are tough, when things are hard. And this isn't to minimize the hard times and the suffering and the difficulties that we face. But this is just to bring the spotlight of God's truth when God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. You can bank on that promise because He was willing to forsake His own Son in your place. J.D. Greer says, so when we feel abandoned, it's all it is is a feeling, a lying, deceptive feeling. It has to be. Jesus faced the full measure of our aloneness in our place, and He put it away forever. By His death, He reconciled us to God so that we can know He will never leave us or forsake us. In some strange way, we can never hope to comprehend He was abandoned. He was abandoned for us. You're never forsaken. You are set free, not condemned. You are blessed. You're not cursed. It's true. It's finished. Jesus, after knowing that all was finished, said to fulfill Scripture, I thirst. And a jar full of wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. There's no more for us to do. It's all been done. It's finished because he was forsaken. Let's pray, Lord. As we consider your word and we consider our lives, Lord, we want to see our lives truly as the way they are in light of the truth of your word. I pray, Lord, that you would correct our false thinking. The father of lives, the deceiver, the devil would have us believe that we are still under condemnation and curse, that we have been forsaken. But Lord Jesus, we know it is finished. We are accepted. Thank you for your mercy and grace shown to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.